We've been taking a journey uh, through the life of Jesus as we started his birth story, and then we talked about his uh, experiences that he had, and then uh, now we're in this section called the resurrection and beyond. And as we uh, look at some of the experiences of Jesus that he had post-resurrection, And so last week we talked about, did Jesus really rise again from the dead? And in the weeks to come, we'll look a little bit at uh, how Jesus had various experiences with some of his disciples. And the passage that Jim read for us talked about an experience that he had with Peter and a few other disciples. Uh, And this was the third time that Jesus had actually appeared uh, to the disciples. But before we get to that story that that Jim read, I want to tell you another story that happened earlier on in the Gospels between Jesus and Peter. And that's found in Luke chapter 5, and that's the beginning of Jesus' experience with Peter. But the unique thing is that this experience in Luke chapter 5 is very similar in many ways, but also different than what happens in John chapter 21. And so this is what happens in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is is there. You have these fishermen, Peter uh, and James and John and others, and they're they're all fishing. Okay, and Jesus is there and he wants to teach the people. So he gets into one of Peter's boats and and they push him off into the water and it gives him a good platform. It gives him a good place to preach and teach and he's teaching the, the people there. And after all of that happens, he asks Peter, you know, how's the fishing going, right? And Peter says, oh, we haven't caught anything all night. And Jesus tells them, go into this particular area, go to this particular place, let down your nets. And this is the carpenter giving advice to the fishermen on how to fish, right? But because it was Jesus, Peter says, Lord, at your command, we will do this. And so he, um, he sends his boats out and he, they put out the, the nets and they gather so much fish that it's almost ready to break the nets, but the nets don't break. They fill up their boats with fish, and they can't believe this is probably the best fishing day that Peter and his co-workers have ever had, right? This is like top-notch fishing day. They're probably going to make a killing on the profits, right, in selling all of this fish that they have, an amazing experience that Peter and, and his co-workers have. But then Peter comes back to the shore and sees Jesus and his uh, expression to Jesus, his conversation with Jesus, he goes to Jesus and, and, and he says something very significant. He tells, he doesn't say, Jesus, thank you. Can you stay with me every single day that I fish so that I can have such a catch every single day? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Jesus, you are Lord of heaven and earth. I worship you. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. He doesn't say that. But he comes to Jesus after this amazing experience and says, Jesus, Depart from me. I'm a sinful person. Get away from me, Jesus. I see because of what you have done that you are a holy person. You are the living God. Jesus, you are somebody that's very different and distinct from me. Jesus, please depart from me. I'm a sinful person. And then Jesus says, Don't worry, Peter. I'm going to teach you how to catch men. You're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be able, see how many fish that you've gathered? I'm going to show you how you can tell my story and have people follow me. And then he asked them to follow him. And the, and the, and the word of God says there in Luke chapter 5, they say they, they left their boats, they left their fishing equipment, they left all of that, and they followed Jesus. Pretty significant. After their most successful fishing day, most likely, they decided to close down shop, 
and follow Jesus. That's the beginning of the experience, right, in Luke chapter 5. Now, chapters and, and, and years later, right, Jesus was with them. He taught them three and a half years, died, rose again. And now, in John chapter 21, we come to this experience that we read about where Peter, he, he's probably still in a, in a little bit of a disarray. He, he's met Jesus now a couple of times. The Bible says, as we read there, that this is a, the third experience that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. And so Jesus, uh, Peter's probably still, you know, as, as Peter sometimes is, a little bit doubtful, a little bit uncertain of the future, right? Jesus still hasn't addressed the elephant in the room, right? Jesus has come and appeared in the room with Peter and the others, but Jesus has not addressed with Peter the biggest point. Hey, Peter, do you remember you denied me? You said you weren't going to do that, but you did, not once, not twice, but three times. The elephant in the room has not been addressed between Jesus and Peter. And so Peter is here, he's on the shore, he's back with some of the other disciples, and Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And Peter decides, he goes fishing, and the other disciples say, okay, if you're going to go, we're going to come along as well. And so they go and they, and, and they start fishing. And as similar to the first story in Luke chapter 5, they are not successful at all. And so as they're fishing and they're trying to get, they're, they're trying their best and, and nothing's happening, they hear a voice coming from the shore. How's it going over there? You know, we're catching nothing here. And Jesus, like he said in the first story in Luke chapter 5, cast your net over here. And so they cast their net over, and they pull out their net, and it's filled with fish, 153 to be precise. Now, there's a very interesting detail in the story that they say it's 153, so they're probably really shocked about how much fish they caught. They're probably like, one, two, three, four, hold on, don't let me lose count, five, six, right? And they count 153 fish, amazing. And then John, who's a little bit more perceptive than Peter. Peter, you know, he, he gets there, but, you know, he comes to the tomb second. He, you know, all of these things. Or, well, he passed by John on the way to the tomb, but John was leading the charge. And John tells Peter, that's Jesus. That's Jesus on the shore. And Peter, in typical Peter fashion, just, you know, jumps right into everything, doesn't give a second thought, you know. Uh, you know, when, as we sang, you call me out on the waters, you know, Peter, he's on the boat and he says, Lord, you want me to come on the water with you? Can I walk with you on the water? Like Peter is very just, first thing that comes to his mind, Peter does. He hears Jesus is on the shore. He jumps at that and he goes to Peter, to, to Jesus. And he's, he's probably swimming, you know, full tilt swimming, gets to the shore and there's Jesus. And the disciples, of course, you know, Peter doesn't care about the rest of the people. They're pulling the, the fish, the 153 that they had, and they're bringing that to shore. But they get to shore, and Jesus is there. And Jesus already has a meal ready for them. But Jesus being Jesus says, hey, you know, some of that 153 fish, you want to bring some of that over here? I have some already, but you can, you know, you can share. Let's fellowship together. We'll come to that in a moment. And so they're eating together on the shore. They're fellowshipping together. And then... Jesus addresses the elephant in the room. Then Jesus comes and he, and he tells Peter, right? He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Peter asks, Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? 
And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And then again, one more time, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And, and the word of God says Peter was a little bit grieved in his heart that Jesus would ask again. But I think for the three times that Jesus, that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus asks again to Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds and he says, yes, I love you. I love you. Now, for the Bible scholars that are out there or you that have maybe spent some time in church, you probably know that there's a few different words that are used for love in this story. Uh, there's the word agape, which means unconditional love. There's the word phileo, which means brotherly love or kindness. And, and if you read this over again with the, the Greek word, and in the English language, we have one word for love, but in Greek, there's about three or four different words for love. And there's two words that are used here. And I don't want to get caught up on, on, on these words, but the way that the conversation goes is like this. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And, and Peter responds, yes, Lord, I, I phileo you. I, I love you. And Jesus asks again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And, and Peter responds and says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I, I love you. And then Jesus in the third time says, he changes now. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me? He changes the word. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you, I, I love you. And so there's two different words, one that's agape, which wasn't a, a word that was used very commonly in classic Greek culture. It became a, use that, a word that was used predominantly in the New Testament uh, scriptures, but wasn't something that was used predominantly in Greek culture. The word phileo was used predominantly in Greek culture, and so that was probably the word that they were more uh, familiar with. And, and I don't want to put one over the other or say that one is more meaningful than another, and sometimes we can, we can think about it like that. Um, but there are times in scripture as well, for example, uh, when in the gospel it says, men love darkness rather than light. Guess what word that is? Agape. Really? Yeah, it is. Right? So they say, oh, you know, is, is that really the, the best kind of love? Right? Men love darkness rather than light. Uh, when it says the father loves the son in a particular place in John, do you know what word that is? You would think agape, but it's actually phileo. Right? That the Father loved the Son. So uh, I'm using those examples to say, let's not get caught up on, on all of those words. And if you've been around in church long enough, you've probably heard those words, and you've probably heard those words associated with this story as well. And, and I'll get to maybe what I think that might mean a little bit later on. But this is the interaction that Peter has. And, and you can see the difference. One of the biggest differences to me in that first story in Luke chapter 5, and the next story in John chapter 21, in Luke 5, this amazing miracle happens, and Peter says... Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful person. In John chapter 21, this amazing miracle happens with the fish again. And what does Peter do? Does he run away from Jesus? Does he say, depart from me, I'm a sinful person? No. He, instead, he does the opposite. He runs to Jesus. Three and a half years of being with Jesus at least taught Peter one thing if he forgot everything else that you don't run away from Jesus. You run to Jesus. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter how we failed. Doesn't matter how we've grieved the Lord. At least that one lesson Peter learned. He made so many other mistakes and so many other things. He was very, um, you know, just jumped the gun on so many things. But that one lesson Peter learned, don't run away from Jesus. Run to Jesus. 
run to Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we look at the story, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that as we journey through this story, Lord, that you would help us to understand what you want us to see and perceive from this story. Lord, thank you because we can run to you in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, in times of uncertainty. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and you will be there to strengthen us and to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at three things. I think that there's, there's so many different ways that you could look at this story, and quite frankly, we could have a, a few messages on this story. But I want us to just look at three things that I think are really important that we can learn for us, that we can apply even in our own lives today as we see this interaction between Jesus and Peter. And the first thing is that Jesus meets us where we are at. Jesus meets us where we are at. Jesus met Peter where he was at. Where was Peter? He wasn't in the synagogue preaching a a message to everybody, hey, Jesus is risen. But Peter was where? He went fishing. He was on the shores. And Peter and Jesus went to find, Jesus went to find Peter where he was at. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about about shepherding. And he says this, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that was lost? Jesus will go and find that one that was lost. How many here were, how many of you uh, were here on Saturday of Easter weekend when we showed the Jesus Sights and Sound presentation? How many were here? Some of you were here, right? There was one part in that movie that was really moving and emotional for me. Um, and it really spoke to me loudly. And, and the disciples are going on, on the ship, and they're, they're, past, they're on this lake, and they're going to Gadara to, Jesus knew they were going to Gadara to meet this man that was demon-possessed. And some of the disciples, they're c- complaining and being like, why are we going over here? This is Gentile land. Why are we doing this? You know? And then they start singing this song connected to this whole, whole story of, of shepherding, that when we were the one, Jesus left the 90 and 9 to find us. And so they, they pass this lake and they get to, to, to the other side. And they realize that Jesus is leaving the 99, leaving Israel, leaving the, the, the quote-unquote people of God to find, to go into this Gentile area and find that one that needed him. And friends, Jesus will come and meet us where we are at. This caused a lot of strife for the religious people of Jesus' day because he would go and meet the publicans and meet the sinners and meet the tax collectors and meet the prostitutes and he would go and find them where they were at. Not in the synagogue, but he would go to their houses, he would go to their places and he would minister to them. Friends, this is the part of the gospel that we also have to understand. It's not about God come, it's not about us receiving people and coming to us, but we going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, just as he comes to people. We often think that, okay, let's, let's bring people here to church. Let's bring people here, and that's good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But do you know that God is a missionary God? That he meets people where they are at, and he, goes, he sends his word out, and that's incumbent on us to be able to do as well. He met Peter where he was at in love, in the current situation that he was in. Jesus had an interaction with Peter and was able to touch him 
in a particular place where he was at in his own journey. God's love for us is so expansive, it's so broad, and it's so wonderful that it can meet us in our deepest depression. It can meet us in our most difficult trial. It can meet us in uh, the, the time of our greatest doubt. It can meet us in our most um, terrible sickness that we're going through. God's love is so amazing that it can meet us wherever we're at. The psalmist says it like this, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I go to the deepest parts of hell, even there you are, O Lord. And so God meets us where we're at. God has this this amazing interaction with us because of his great love. The, The very famous verse, John chapter three and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Did he say, come up and see me and let me explain to, every, uh, everything, uh, to everyone how this is? No. He said, I'm not content just to stay here in heaven, but I am going to send my son, my one and only son to you, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son, Jesus, for us so that he can meet us where we are at. And friends, it's incumbent on us, if we are followers of Jesus, to meet people where they are at as well. Not with eyes of condemnation or criticism or eyes of uh, um, contempt, but to understand and see them as Jesus saw them and meet them where they're at. Why? Because in Luke 19, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that, guess what? Includes you and me. How many times does Jesus meet us in our deepest pit and in our highest mountain? How many times does Jesus come and touch us and speak to us in our most difficult trial and in the time of great rejoicing? Jesus meets us where we are at. He met Peter where he was at. Peter had lost his way. He was unsure of the future. The elephant in the room had not been addressed He had seen some amazing things following Jesus for three and a half years. He had seen some awesome miracles and healings and teaching, but he failed Jesus miserably. He failed Jesus at the most critical time and opportunity of the ministry of Jesus. The time that Jesus needed him most, Peter failed. Sound familiar to you? Maybe at the time when God is calling us, we fail miserably. Maybe we look at our life and we see time and time again where we have failed, where we have fallen short of God's glory, have not done his will, have grieved the Holy Spirit. Maybe we see certain times in our life when we haven't followed Jesus passionately and with our whole heart. And maybe at this time, Peter was was listening to the lies of the devil Maybe he was hearing some things that maybe similarly we've heard before as well. Oh, Peter, you've messed up. Look at you all of these years following Jesus and look at what you've done. Have you ever heard that lie before? How about this one? There's no hope for you. You've been walking with Jesus for all these years. Look, you're still struggling with the same thing. And maybe the enemy was speaking to him some of these lies. Jesus actually doesn't love you. He loves your neighbor. He loves those people. But you, you're always just giving him too many headaches. Or how about this one? How could you deny Jesus? 
How could you deny Jesus? In his failure, in his brokenness, in his sin, Jesus met Peter right where he was at and reminded Peter that he was a beloved child of God. Friends, we can be children of God. Our identity is not in what we do, but in who we are. Our identity is not based on whether we are successful or whether we're a failure. Our identity is based on the fact that we are children of God and we are accepted in his sight. That's why it says here in John 1, it says, but to all who believed him, if we believe in the Lord Jesus and accepted him, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God. That is our identity. That is first and foremost our identity. Our identity should not be based on our accomplishments, on the type of work or job that we have, on the type of family that we might have, on the type of sexuality we might have. Our, our identity should not be based in our own accomplishments or failures. Our identity should not be based in any of those things. Our identity primarily and foremost must be based on the fact that we are children of God. Number two, Jesus heals our brokenness. I think I've used this point numerous times over and over again in different stories. Do you know why? Because this is the message of the gospel. This is the story of Jesus, that he heals our brokenness. Friends, we're all broken people. You and me alike, we all have brokenness in some way and in some form. We are broken people. Peter was a broken man. On those shores there, as he was going fishing, he was a broken person. Years before that, in Luke 5, he was a broken person. But after denying Jesus three times, he was a broken person. And he needed to experience Jesus' healing touch, Jesus' restorative touch. In Psalm, 30, in Psalm 34, it says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. How many here you'd like to be close to Jesus? Anybody? Yeah, a few people. But what is he, who, who is he close to? The brokenhearted. When we come to the Lord in our brokenness, in acknowledgement of our brokenness, it says there, he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many trials, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Friends, you might be going through trials and difficulties. You might be going through a breaking experience even right now in your job or in your family or even in your own emotions and in your own spirituality. You might be going through situations that are, are, are terrible, that are difficult, that, are, that, that cause you just to break inside. Jesus can be close to you because he's close to the brokenhearted. The exchange that Peter has with Jesus here, as we talked about, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. It was interesting because uh, in, in Greek culture at that time, um, agape is really unconditional love. And it sounds good, and it's great, and, and it is great. It is unconditional love. But guess what it also is? One-way love, Right? If somebody hurts us, if somebody offends us, if somebody does something to us and we want to still love them, then guess what that is? That is what? Agape. That, that's one way. Because it's not reciprocated. Right? 
It's one-way love. It doesn't matter what you do to me, I'm still gonna love you. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. When we sin, when we grieve the Lord, when we hurt him, when we fall short of his glory, and he still loves us, that's agape. That's one-way love. It's amazing love. Without condition, without restraint, without qualification, he loves us. That's agape. But phileo is two-way love. It's brotherly love. It's familial love. And in Greek culture at that, at that time, it's probably the highest kind of love that you could have in a, in a cultural way. And here, there's, there's this expression, Peter, do you agape me? Are you going to return that love, Peter? I, I know you denied me, but can you return that love? Right? Peter, Lord, I want this two-way love. Lord, I, I phileo you. Peter, are you able to return that love? You already know that I love you, Peter, but do you love me? Is that going to come back? Unconditionally, without restraint. Peter, if you go through trials and difficulties, Peter, are you still going to love me? Because guess what? That love stopped when you denied me. When that trial came, when that difficulty came, well, Peter, that, there wasn't that agape. So, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? Is, is, are you going to send that love back? Yes, Lord, I, I want to I come back to that phileo love. And then Jesus, the third time, says, Peter, do you phileo me? Can we come back to that communion, communion that, that united love together? He said, yes. See, Jesus was broken so that we can experience that unconditional love, but also that two-way love, that relationship that he wants us to have with him. So an amazing verse in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, it says this, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. This Isaiah 53 is a prophetic uh, chapter about Jesus and dying on Calvary and what the, the, the suffering servant would actually do. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. It was, it was the Lord's good pleasure, his plan to crush Jesus. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Right? If he said that about one of us, well, friends, do you know sometimes we go through trials and difficulties and we can't make sense of why we're going through them? But if we trust the love of our Father and realize that we are sons and daughters, then we will love and understand that he knows better than what we know. Do you agree? There's so many times uh, in our life now as Joel is uh, 16 months old and he's walking and he's walking all over the place and touching this and touching that and, you know, no fear of stairs and, you know, just he'll fall wherever he'll fall. And if we pull him back and if we stop him from doing things, he'll, he'll cry and murmur and, you know, whine and all of those things. So do we, do we just let him do what he wants to do? No. Out of love, we protect him. And he might take it in the wrong way and think, why is mommy and daddy being so mean to me and not allowing me to touch this fire and that thing and that knife? And No, we do it because we love. Friends, we, we might not understand all of what God allows us to go through. And Jesus was bruised and he was crushed by the Father's goodwill and good purpose so that we all could be redeemed and come into that beautiful kingdom of God.
When, when Peter came to, uh, to the shore, he found Jesus there cooking with some bread and with some fish. And how many know that food is a universal sign of fellowship? Did you know that? Food is a universal sign of fellowship. That's why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus, because what was Jesus doing? He was eating with sinners. He was eating with the publicans. He was eating with the prostitutes. He was eating with the disenfranchised. He was eating with all of these people that he, in, the, in their own religious eyes, Jesus, the fact that you are eating with them, they correlate that to communion, acceptance, right? That's what they were thinking. Because food is this universal sign of fellowship and this invitation to come and fellowship together. It's why when we partake of Holy Communion once a month, it's part of fellowshipping together as a body of believers in Jesus. It's why in the early church it says this in Acts chapter 2, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And so we, we eat together. That's part of our, our unity. That's part of our community. That's part of the fellowship that we can share one with another. And here Jesus makes a meal for Peter and the rest of the disciples. And, and probably when they came ashore and saw the bread and the fish, maybe it reminded them of some of the things that Jesus did during those three and a half years in, in multiplying the bread and multiplying the fish and feeding the 5,000, in multiplying the bread and multiplying the fish and feeding the 4,000, and just thinking of the wonderful times and fellowship and the miracles that they had. But this step of eating together, I think, was incredibly healing for Peter. Don't you think so? Think of somebody that you're upset with right now. Somebody that, oh, you can't stand their presence. And then think of eating a meal with them. Right? There's probably two polar opposite feelings. Because the moment you take that step to eat with them is taking a step of fellowship. Right? It's taking a step of communion and community with them. That's why it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my friends so we can fellowship together and laugh and enjoy and our life group will be wonderful. In the presence of my enemies because God wants us to take that step. God wants us to take that step. He meets us where we're at. We can meet our enemies or those that are upset with us or those that have uh, bitterness towards us or those that don't get along with us. We can take that step of fellowship. That's what I, I, when I meet with people, I like to, you know, maybe go out for a breakfast or lunch or do something like that because eating together brings community. Eating together is an incredible step in healing. Friends, is there brokenness in your life today? Are there areas where you see and know that there is some brokenness that's there, some failure that's there? Maybe it's with somebody else. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your parents, children, neighbors, relatives, classmates, teachers, pastor. Can you take that step to eat together? Jesus gave us the example of healing, of restoration with Peter. As he, I think this is the first and only time we see Jesus actually cooking, right? Got some good skills after the resurrection, right? Friends, that's that step of, because Jesus' love 
is so broad, it's so amazing. There had to be this time of restoration for Peter. There had to be this step of restoration for Peter. Jesus had to come to Peter, had to eat with Peter, had to ask Peter these questions because Peter, I think, had committed the greatest sin. And you might think, what, the greatest sin? Do you know what I think the greatest sin is? The greatest sin, I think, is committing, is disobeying the greatest commandment. Does that make sense? The greatest sin, I think, is, and I know you might say, oh, well, there's no big sin or little sin. I know, yes, there's no big sin or little sin or anything. But one way of looking at it, I think the greatest sin is disobeying the greatest commandment. And here it is, the greatest commandment found in Matthew. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest, highest, best, number one commandment. And unfortunately, Peter broke it. In his denial of Jesus, it was a denial of love. And that's why Jesus had to come back to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Time and time again, the story of the gospel is repeated over and over and over again, which is this. Jesus heals our brokenness. We are all broken people, and Jesus can heal us. Number three, the last thing. Jesus empowers us for service. I think it's really important that we understand that when Jesus came to restore Peter, when Jesus came to talk with Peter, when Jesus came to forgive Peter, when Jesus came to bring Peter back sort of into the fold, you can say, is that he empowered Peter for service as well. Jesus could have easily come to Peter and said, Peter, look, you really messed up. Man, I spent three and a half years with you, investing into you, teaching you, telling you how you should go, and look, this is what you do and deny me. Peter, look, I'm willing to forgive you. Listen, I'm even willing for you to be one of the disciples. But guess what? I think I need to find a new leader because I'm leaving here and I'm going back to heaven. I need to make sure that this movement is gonna continue. I need to make sure that it's in the right hands. And guess what, Peter? It's not you. You've already proved your colors. You've already shown me that you're unfaithful. You've already shown me that I can't trust you, Peter, so forget about it. I, you know, John is here. Let him lead the charge. Could Jesus have said that? He could have. Did he? He didn't. He gave him this commandment. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Oftentimes when we fail, we come to a place have you ever done this before? I know I have. We come to a place of unworthiness. We come to a place where we feel like there is an inability to do God's will because of what we have done. Have you ever felt like that? I have. I felt so many times, Lord, I'm not worthy to stand here in front of your people and preach your word. I'm not worthy to, to do something. Look at all of my failures. Look at all of my sins. Look at all of what I've done that has grieved your heart. How can I stand here and preach your word? And maybe there are times in our lives as well that, that we feel that. Well, friends, if our identity is not based on our successes or failures, but based on the fact that we are children of God, then we can't be saying the same thing, oh, I failed you, Lord, I am unworthy to do something for you. Because it's not about what our successes are, it's not about what our failures are, but it's about the fact that we are children of God. 
And the, and the devil will come, the enemy will come and bring condemnation. The enemy will come and speak lies to us and say we're not worthy or look at what you did. Oh, again and again and again, this is what has happened to you. Look at that. You, how can you even do that? How can you speak God's word? How can you serve God? How can you do this thing? How can you do that thing? How can you be my witness? How can you be my example to others? When look at how a terrible life that you have lived. But Jesus came to Peter not only restored him, but in many ways asked him to lead. Sometimes it can be incredibly difficult for us to forgive someone else. And many times we look with eyes of judgment and eyes of condemnation and say, oh, that person did that. How come they're doing this now? That person did that terrible thing. And now look, they've been given this position of leadership. They've been given this position of honor. They've been given this position of service in God's kingdom. Sometimes we can be very pharisaical as the Pharisees were to the people that were following Jesus. And we can come to our own conclusion. But Jesus here sets the example of what it is to love and forgive by not only loving and forgiving, but also empowering Peter to serve. Oftentimes we limit the forgiveness or limit the restoration or limit the healing to just that. I'll forgive you, restored, healed, no problem. But don't go and serve. Don't go and teach. Don't go and lead. There's a really, uh, I think a really important example in the Old Testament and it's about Aaron. Aaron was called to be the high priest for the children of Israel. But there was a time when Aaron was leading the children of Israel in rebellion, leading the children of Israel in idol worship. Do you know what God was telling Moses when Aaron was building an idol and telling the children of Israel, here is your God, worship this idol? Do you know what God was telling Moses at the time? Look, Exodus chapter 28, make sacred garments for Aaron that are glorious and beautiful. Have them make garments for Aaron that will distinguish him as a priest set apart for my service. The very same time that Moses is on the mountaintop receiving the pattern of the tabernacle, receiving all of these instructions, these are going to be the priests, these are how, this is how the tabernacle is going to be made, this is how you should worship me. The very same time that Moses is receiving all of this, Aaron is down there at the bottom of the mountain leading the children of Israel in rebellion and idol worship. But still, Aaron is the high priest. I think even from this story all the way to Peter's story, you can see the heart of God to forgive, to restore, to heal, to meet us where we are at in our brokenness. There's a story in the New Testament similarly of Paul and um, Barnabas. And they were on a missionary journey and they had somebody to come along with them, John Mark, in order to, to help them with various things. But when things got a little bit difficult for John Mark, when the travels got a little bit too hard, when he couldn't have his, you know, his donut and coffee in the morning because they were in a, a difficult place, when things got a little bit hard for John Mark, he ended up leaving. And Paul and, and Barnabas, they continued on and it became such a point of contention because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and restore him and, and help him and give him a second chance. And Paul was like, forget John Mark. He left at the most critical time and now you want to take him back? No way. He failed. He was unfaithful. We don't need him. Barnabas being Barnabas was like, 
Give him another chance, Paul. And Paul, being Paul, was like, nope. That's it. Your one chance is used up. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, probably the last letter that Paul wrote, he says this. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark. We believe him to be John Mark with you when you come. For he will be what? Helpful to me in my ministry. I think in Paul's old age, and as Paul himself matured, and as Paul himself realized and understood, he was ready to give John Mark another chance. But this service also comes with another word that's very difficult, and that's sacrifice. The service comes with sacrifice. So it's great, you could be there and be like, yeah, yay, Peter, good job, Peter, you're back on board, Peter, you're restored, you're healed, amazing, Jesus is for you, Peter, you lead the charge. But then Jesus says this to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do what you liked, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And the next verse says, Jesus spoke this talking about the type of death that Peter was going to suffer. Friends, God calls us into service and I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you and I want to speak into your life to be able to say, friends, can, how are you serving? Is there a way that you can serve within the church and outside of the church? Is there a way that you can make a commitment to Jesus to say, I am going to serve the people of God. For all that God has invested into me, I am going to make an investment into others. For all that Jesus has done for me, I am going to bless others in the way that I serve. But it comes also with a price. Because here, there was some sacrifice that Peter had to make. And, and, he, and he says here, you're going to stretch forth your hands and others are going to lead you. We sang that song, uh, Hymn of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me. Holy Spirit, take me to, to, to the place you want me to go. And I think we can do the same thing by stretching forth our hands and surrendering to the Lord and saying, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me. Worship team, please come. The story is told of Peter. This is not in the Bible. Um, but historians say through, through other writings, a story of Peter in Rome and how he died, because here Jesus was predicting that he would have to come to a place of sacrifice and surrender, because he was serving. There was also a sacrifice. There was also a surrender that needed to happen. And the story goes like this, that Peter was in Rome, and there was all sorts of persecution and suffering during Nero's days, and Christians were being martyred, and Christians were suffering and dying. And so Peter, thinking that, you know, I need to save my life, I need to be able to continue to preach and teach and do other things and lead the church, Peter is on his way out of Rome. And as Peter is on his way out of the Rome, somebody else is on his way into Rome. And it's Jesus. And Peter sees Jesus walking into Rome, and he, he asks the question, the Latin phrase, covadis. Peter, where, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus replies, I'm going to go and suffer with my people. And that clicks to Peter. And that gives him some understanding. And Peter turns around. And he says, I'll go too. And he goes back into the room and history tells us that Peter died upside down on the cross. He said he wasn't even worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. And so he died upside down on the cross. Maybe the Lord might ask us that question. Kovadis, where are you going? Are you going to suffer with the people of God? Are you going to serve with the people of God?
Are you going to experience that love as, as sons and daughters? As we sing this song, Sons and Daughters, I want to encourage you. Realize and know your identity in Christ. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how we failed. There is hope in Jesus. We are the sons. We are the daughters of God. No matter where we go, we're close to the Father's heart. We are the sons. We are the daughters of God. Though we stumble, he will not let us fall. We are the Lord's, and he will never forsake his own. When the lies speak louder than the truth, remind me that I belong to you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to what he's trying to say to you. Be reminded of the truth of God's word, that he loves you with an everlasting and eternal love. The Lord is here with us. Do you want to have that same experience that Peter had? And fellowship and commune with Jesus in love. Let's stand together.